We are starting a new series, just a new few weeks where we kind of take a specific topic and narrow in and talk about it as a church, and it's about fear. We decided to call it Face Your Fears, okay? We wanted to call it Face Your Fears, and we could have done this several different ways. We actually did a series uh, similar to this several years ago and kind of came at it a little bit of a different direction, but our, our desire was that we wanted to help you as a church. I mean, I love talking about this. My two favorite topics are freedom and fear. And one of the reasons I have to talk about freedom so much is because people need to experience freedom from their fear in order to experience the freedom that Christ has for their life. But the reality is is that more, more of you in this room are heavily influenced by your fear or by things that you don't even realize are rooted in fear than you would probably even imagine or acknowledge. And so the goal today is not just to face our fears and to walk through that over the next few weeks, but today we're going to talk about the faces of fear. We're going to talk about what fear looks like in our life in an effort to help all of us grow and to help all of us overcome those fears. Now, the theme verse is my life verse. I don't know if you were raised this way. I was raised in church, and I was raised with having a life verse. And my life verse came to me when I was a teenager, and it's 2 Timothy 1.7. It's been my life verse for all this time. For God has not given us a, read the words, a spirit of fear. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. And I've memorized all the versions, power, love, self-control, self-discipline. I can give you all, all, all of them to you, the translations. I love this verse because what it tells us is that re- the reality of fear is that it does not come from God. It does not mean that it's not natural, and it does not mean that it's not something we're all going to deal with in our life. But the spirit of fear, the way we're going to talk about fear, this does not come from God. Instead, he wants you to overcome that fear with power and with love and with self-discipline and self-control and a sound mind. Um, I've read this a while back, and I'll share it with you one more time. Uh, Douglas Winter was an author that was writing an article for a magazine called The Faces of Fear. And it was, he was basically interviewing 18 of sort of the authors of movies and, and scripts and books and things that were all kind of the, of the horror movie industry, kind of the people who, people who you know, scare us. That's basically what it is. So he wrote this big article with 18 different articles, 18 different sections. And the one I loved reading was the one on Stephen King. I also loved the one on M. Night Shyamalan a lot. You know who I'm talking about? You know, I can't say his name, but that was another really good article. If you want to look it up, it's really good. But the one with Stephen King was phenomenal. And I've shared this before, but Stephen King uses like the, the old uh, pictures of like the mummy and the werewolf and, the, and Dracula. He talks about the three primary faces of fear that he focuses on, which is the fear of the unknown, that's the mummy, the fear of change, the, the werewolf, and the fear of darkness, the fear of evil, which was Dracula. And he talks about these three fears are the things he's kind of focused on in his writing. And he says, ultimately, the fear of the unknown is the biggest fear of all. And then he said this, and I love this particular quote. He says, the illusion of control is the primary fuel for our fear. The illusion of control, he says, in all of his books, in all of his stories, the illusion of control is what feeds. It's the, it's the fuel for fear and how fear works in our life. And again, for most of us, I will, I will definitely say it's not that fear doesn't exist, and we'll talk more about that today and throughout the next few weeks. Again, it's not that fear is ever going to fully go away, but it's our response to fear. It's how we understand fear. It's how we identify fear in our life. So I, I have a quick list I'm going to walk you through, 
And these are what I call the faces of fear. This is how fear shows up in our life. You could probably add some things to your list. But I just want to walk you through these because, again, I think fear, that you, you probably have things rooted in fear and don't even realize it. Perfectionism is rooted in fear. Why? Because it's driven by how people will judge you and how people will perceive you and how, how you base a value to yourself. So it's rooted in fear. Procrastination is rooted in fear because of the pressure you feel to succeed or the expectations that you feel like are placed on you. And so the best thing you can do is put those off. Nod your head if you're the procrastinators in the room, right? Right? Rooted in fear. Compromise. The reason compromise is rooted in fear is because we oftentimes will settle and resign to something less than what we can do or less than what maybe God wants us to do and compromise because that for us is easier than facing the risks. And so that is even rooted in fear. Worry, worry is all the what-ifs, right? All the what-ifs that we have in our life. Panic, <laughs> panic is the physical representation of the internal overwhelming thoughts in your life. Okay, that's what panic is. It's the internal overwhelming feelings that you have showing up physically, showing up in your body. Impatience, or sorry, anger is when you're out of control, so that's rooted in fear because of control. Impatience is similar. Impatience has to do with being out of control, but man, impatience has a whole lot to do with the urgency of what you're missing, the urgency of what's next, the urgency of what you won't get to, the urgency of what, what you should be doing versus what you are doing. Anxiety, these are the intrusive thoughts that are often unwanted and unwarranted. Success. Most people don't really think about the fact that success, most people don't think that there might be a part of the success drive in you that is really rooted in fear because you are so driven by a fear of failure or by being perceived as a failure that you are driven and driven and driven to succeed out of fear. Apprehension, same thing in terms of it's, it makes you risk averse, you know, it makes you, you, you wear the air of being cautious you wear the air of being wise, but really the apprehension that's in you is actually driven by fear. And then I put control issues, because they're control issues. Everyone here has control issues. Nod your head, right? Nod your head. You know what's, but here's what's funny about control issues. Everyone here deals with control issues, but here's what's true about fear in terms of control issues, is that the majority of your control issues, no one ever really sees, Right? They don't know why you sit where you sit at a dinner table. They don't know why you drive the way you drive. They don't know why you, you sleep in the bed the way you sleep in the bed. They don't know why you arrange things the way you... Like, the majority of the things that drive your need for control, nobody even recognizes. Because we all have control issues, right? But they're all rooted in fear. So this is, this is the reason that I feel like it's so important to, to kind of bring light to, to how much influence fear might actually have in your life. Because there's people in here, and you're going to do it all day. You're going to be like, whatever, Matt. I'm not ruled by fear. I'm not controlled by fear. Fear does not drive my life. Well, that's probably hopefully true. But you may have some things rooted in fear like this. Maybe you have another thing that you could add to the list that actually does have a major influence in your life. It's driving your life. It's, it's, it's propelling you in directions in your life that are all rooted in fear. But the reality is, is that we cannot change what we cannot identify. 
okay? We can't. We cannot experience change and transformation if we cannot recognize and we cannot identify what that fear looks like and how fear is working, how it's working in our lives. So today I want to give you uh, just a quick visual, okay? This is a, a visual. I'll go ahead and tell you. My goal for this visual is that you will never be able to get into another car and not think of this visual, okay? That's the goal for this visual. But here's, here's what I want you to think about. Again, fear shows up in all different ways, and fear in our lives, um, I really do want us to think about a car. Think about passengers in a car. And for most of us, we will all have experienced some aspects of this in terms of how fear is working in our lives. Now, the direction of where our lives are going, our goals and our dreams and our purpose and our direction that we all hope is coming from God. But there are other faces and there are other voices at work in our life. The back seat, back seat. I call this the naysayer and the worrier, okay? These are the voices of the naysayer and the worrier. The naysayer says probably, okay? Okay, you guys can feel free to nod if this is any of you. This probably won't work, right? It's probably not going to happen. It's pro- we're probably not going to make it. He's probably already fallen out of love with you. You probably won't get that promotion. I know the guy said that he was going to fight for you to get that raise, but you're probably not going to get that raise. doesn't matter. That probably isn't going to work out for your kids to do that thing you really wanted your kids to do. It's probably not going to work. probably not going to happen. That thing you did, your kids are probably screwed up for life, right? <laughs> they are. They're prob- they, they most definitely probably are. And then you have the worrier, okay? So then you have the, you have, the, you, have the, you have the naysayer with the problems, and your worriers are your what-ifs, right? What if she doesn't actually love me? What if there's another reason she's here? What if Jim lies about me at work in terms of how much I put into that project versus how much he put into it? And what if he lies and takes all the credit? What if my kids don't have good enough grades to get to kind of, kind of do the things that they would love to do in their life? What if, what if I don't ever, what if my job isn't going to last? What if this isn't the career that I'm supposed to be on? What if I never have enough money to retire? What if this elevator breaks and I'm trapped and I die? It's a real fear. The naysayer and the what ifs are often those in the back seat kind of screaming the loudest thoughts in our mind. And then you guys ever, you guys all know this, right? You have the back seat you ever have those passengers that are in the back seat, but they want to be in the front seat? <laughs> I call them the pop-up. And this is the intrusive thoughts and feelings. This is where a lot of anxiety comes from. Because this is, this is a little bit deeper. This is a little bit more, whereas in the, the naysayer and the worrier often yell their, their thoughts at you, the intrusive thoughts and, and, uh, and feelings that are usually unwanted, you didn't ask for them. They're unwarranted, meaning they might not even be logical. But this is more of a whisper. Hey, guys, what's going on? Hey. Hey, did you, did you see that Bob didn't say hi to you when you walked into work today? Man, he looks like he's mad at you. Don't you think he's mad at you? Yeah, I, know you I know you feel that something's off. It's probably Bob. I think he's mad at you. And yesterday when he looked at you, didn't you think he looked at you a little weird? Hey, that ain't, you know, that little, I mean, I know you drank nothing but coffee on top of a cinnamon roll this morning, but, you know, that rumbling in your stomach, that's actually anxiety for the meeting you're getting ready to have. I bet your boss is going to call you out on something you didn't even know yet. The intrusive thoughts 
and feelings come in because they don't have to have any merit. They do not have to be warranted. But they can take anything you're feeling and begin to make it true and put a deeper seed into your heart and into your mind. And the intrusive thoughts and feelings will sometimes echo what the naysayer and the worrier says. The naysayer, she's probably going to leave you. And the intrusive thought goes, yeah, you've probably been feeling that for a while. I mean, you've just not been connecting. You just haven't really been on. I mean, you know that's probably true. You know that's going to happen. It's going to happen eventually. You know it's going to happen. It just gets deeper and deeper and deeper into your, into your mind. And then I have what I call the false prophet. The false prophet sits in the front passenger seat. It is, he is the navigator, right? He's the navigator. He's helping you guide. He's helping give direction. But the problem with the false prophet of fear is that it will always paint the worst possible future for you imaginable, right? The false prophet is always going to say with definitive words that this is going to happen and it's going to be terrible. And it's going to be, it's going to be worse than you can imagine. And then they want to give direction to help you alter your course. Listen, if you take a left up here, yeah, she's definitely going to break up with you. If you take a left right here and you do that thing, that I'm telling you that it's going to go so bad for you. It's, it's, you know, she's going to leave you stranded and, and you're going to be so heartbroken and it's going to be the worst. So why don't you take a right? And I know that you really aren't that comfortable with it, but let's take a right and maybe kind of shortchange some things. And maybe you, maybe you can buy a little bit of time. Maybe you can work out some, something a little bit different. Let's take a right. Hey, I know you said that thing at work the other day that you could, that you, you, I mean, I don't know where it came from, but you talked about this huge dream and vision. But I, I just want you to know, if you go that direction, you're probably going to drive off a cliff and die. You know, you, you probably are. I don't think it's going to work. The probably guy's telling me it's probably not going to work. So why don't we take a, it's really, it's, you know, it's, it's not too late. Let's take a quick U-turn. And let's stay here. Let's stay where we are. Maybe, I mean, you know, driving in circles is really not always a bad thing. Who said it was a bad thing? right? Let's just, let's just have a little bit more control over this versus risking what I know is going to be a failure. And then we have the driver when fear is in the driver's seat. And this doesn't often look quite as negative because fear in the driver's seat is the self-assured person who is safe and in control. Because where they're driving and how they've directed their life and what they're doing has been completely driven by not risking, not, not failing, not even being perceived as a failure, but they're safe. They take the safest way possible. And they're in control all the time. They will navigate and manipulate and change anything they have to change to maintain control and to remain self-assured. And that's the one that most people don't really think looks like fear. And yet I'm telling you that if your life, if your life is completely driven by the desire to stay safe and to remain in control of everything, then you don't have to worry about some of these other voices because fear is already driving. Fear is already at the wheel. I love the way C.S. Lewis says it. Uh, he says it this way in, a, in one of his great works called The Screwtape Letters. Now, let me give you some context. The Screwtape Letters is a story. 
And it's, a, and it's, a, it's kind of a reverse psychology story of, of, of a demon, like a, like a head demon, and, and like an apprentice junior demon. And they talk about humans as their subject. And so this head demon is talking to this, this, this kind of junior apprentice, and he's giving him some advice about how they can deceive their human subject. And I want you to see how C.S. Lewis put this. He says, the future is filled with hope and fear. But we, we want man hang-ridden by the future, haunted by visions of an imminent troubles, ready to break God's command in the present, right now, ready to make a different decision, if by doing so we can make him think that he can attain control over his future. That, that, that this might actually be the work of the enemy. To want to see the voices and faces of fear show up in your life and to cause you to make decisions right now to live your way versus living God's way. To let fear drive and influence and direct you to the degree that you really do think that you're trying, to, you state that you're following God, but every decision you make is out of fear. It doesn't work. We can't change what we can't identify. And Jesus, when Jesus taught his disciples, when Jesus was teaching his, his disciples about fear, do you know what he said when he taught them on fear? Simple. Read the words out loud. Yeah, say it like Jesus would say it. Fear not. Yeah, which is not going to be brand new information. Like if you go to read the Old Testament, which Jesus obviously knew, if you go to read the Old Testament, it's everywhere in the Old Testament. Don't be afraid. You know, fear, feareth not, right? You know, there's time, every time they ran into the, to a, someone of uh, an angel or ran into a problem or God spoke through a prophet, it was constantly the message of don't fear. Fear not. Don't be afraid. And Jesus is going to repeat this. And the neat thing about this for Jesus, though, is he doesn't just get to teach it. He gets to, li he gets to live it out with his disciples. He gets to show it. He gets to, he gets to do what do they call like a full-on like full like, um, like an exercise with them. So one, times he, he, one of the times he's teaching them, and we'll talk more about this in a few weeks, but at some point Jesus is even telling them, look, don't be afraid of the people who can kill you. And most of us would respond like, no, that's actually a pretty good fear. But Jesus, as he's teaching them about not fearing, he actually makes that statement. Look, don't be afraid of the people who can just kill you. And he goes on to teach some incredible lessons about what fear is. And again, we'll talk about that in the future. But after he does this teaching, he says, okay, let's go. Field trip. So he says, get in the, get in the boat. We're going to go across the lake. We're going to do some more teaching. And many of you may know, may, know, may know this story. This is Jesus getting into the boat, and they started across the lake with his disciples. And suddenly a fierce storm struck the lake with waves breaking into the boat. But Jesus was sleeping, taking a nap. And it says the disciples went and woke him, shouting, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. Now, by the way, this story is recorded in Matthew uh, Mark and John, okay? So this, this is recorded in three different eyewitness accounts of what happened here. He says, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. And Jesus responded, why are you, say the word, afraid? You have so little, what? Faith. And then he got up, which I love Matthew's account, because it's like, he didn't, even, he didn't even get up to tell us that, right? Why, why are you afraid? Why are you waking me? Why, where is your faith? You have little faith. 
And then he gets up and he rebukes the wind and the waves, and suddenly there's a great calm. He overcomes Mother Nature. And says the disciples were amazed. Who is this man, they asked, that even the winds and the waves obey him? Now, Jesus brings up a contrast that he is going to use several times throughout his ministry, sometimes together, like we just saw, several times together, and then other times where he's just teaching on it. And he's helping them understand the difference between fear and faith. There's a contrast that he is teaching and wants us to understand. Why are you afraid? Where is your faith? Why? Don't, don't be afraid, you of little faith. Now, just to help us kind of enter, engage in that conversation, I want you to see what he's using as a contrast. See, our fear is always in what could happen and what could be. That's our fear. Our fear is always in the outcomes. Our fear is always in the circumstances. Our fear is always driven by what could happen and what could be and what might be and what probably will be. But our faith our faith is actually rooted in who he is. Okay? Think about the way that Jesus taught this. When he taught about fear, he's always teaching about fear from the context of, of circumstances. And, you know, I, I'm telling you not to be afraid. Like, why, why would you fear death? Why would you fear this? Why would you fear, you know, the food you, you know, the food you eat and the clothes on your back? Like, why would you ever fear these things? Why would you ever fear not having enough? Why would you ever fear provision? He, he, he talked about fear from a what could happen. But every time he talked about faith, it was because of who he is. He told the woman, you, you've been healed because of your faith. Your faith has healed you. Was it really a circumstance that healed her, or was it the fact that Jesus healed her, right? So your faith has healed you mean Jesus healed you. When he talked about the Roman centurion, and he said, and he said, I've never seen faith like this in all of Israel, because the Roman centurion had a sick person back in another city, and he came to Jesus, and Jesus was willing to go with him. And he said, look, you don't need to go with me. Just, you just say the word, and my servant will be healed in another city. Because he understood faith. It wasn't in what Jesus could do. It was because he was Jesus. And he said, you know, have a faith of a mustard seed, and you can move a mountain. It had nothing to do with whether or not you or I could move a mountain. It had to do with the fact that you have a faith in mustard seed in me, and who I am, mountains will be moved. Everybody with me? Our fear is always in the what. But faith is always taught from an aspect of who. Who he is. So they land on the shore and Jesus starts teaching and this huge crowd gathers up. I'm going to give you the quick paraphrase. Huge crowd gathers up and, you know, Jesus tells his guys to find some food for him and they, there's no way that could ever happen. So he steals a kid's lunch and prays over it and multiplies it. He feeds 5,000 men plus women and children. Like, the, like up to this point, it was a huge miracle that the disciples got to witness and experience and be an active part of. And then Jesus said, okay, time to get back in the boat. We're going to go back over to the other side. Now, this took a little bit of convincing. As a matter of fact, when you read this in Matthew 14, it says, immediately Jesus made the disciples. Now, understand the word, the word made there is actually, a, you know, there's more to that word. It does actually mean he sort of pushed them. He had to coerce them to get back in the boat ahead of him. So go on ahead of him without Jesus to the other side where he dismissed the crowd. 
And it says after Jesus dismissed them, he went up to the mountainside by himself to pray, and later that night he was there alone. And the bow was already a considerable distance from the land. It was buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. He said, but shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. And when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were, read the word out loud, terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. Jesus, once again, immediately said to them, take courage. Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. So he's like, look, Jesus understands fear. I want you to understand that. Jesus understands fear. He doesn't say in this moment, you shouldn't have fear. He's saying, hey, take courage. Take something else in hand. It's because it's me. Your faith is in me. It is I. Don't be afraid. See, sometimes fear is taught from a Christian standpoint that fear shouldn't exist. And I'm just telling you, it's wrong. To be fearless, to not be afraid. I'm going to go to this slide real quick. To be fearless, it is not the absence of fear, but it is the presence of courage. Everybody with me? It's not the absence of fear. Jesus knows that fear is going to be there. All the voices are still at work. All the passengers are still there. He says, I don't want you to be afraid. I want you to take courage. It's not the absence of fear that makes you fearless. It is the taking of the courage. It is the presence of faith. It is the presence of who your courage is in. So we read the story and we see the outcome. We see the results. But I'm telling you right now, that, you know, fear was already at work in the disciples' life, right? Fear was already working. You know, what if guys like, well, wait, 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 Jesus isn't coming? Well, what if we get into another storm? If we get into another storm like we just had, and Jesus isn't with us, we're going to die a horrible, terrible death. And the probably guy's going, yeah, you know what? Jesus is probably out looking for new disciples anyway. You know? <laughs> and we've already blown it a couple times. He's probably, that's probably why he left us. Left us out here to die, and he's out getting his own new disciples. And the pop-up guys and the intrusive thoughts are in there, and he's like, man, everything you guys are feeling in your pit of your stomach, it's true. You're going to die tonight. Don't get on the boat. Right? The false prophet is at work saying, look, Jesus made us get on. He, he, he coerced us to get on. So let's do this. He said, go to the other side. We don't have to go through the middle, though. Let's go around the side. Right? Let's stay somewhat close to the shore. Not so close, but we, you know, we want to be able to at least still see the land. Still be somewhat accessible that if we do see waves and storms, we can, we can get out of here. And here they are in the boat all by themselves. A little bit of wind and waves, nothing terrible, but they're safe. And we're in control. Okay, it's going good. We don't know where Jesus is, but it's going good. Is that a ghost? Everybody with me? So we see, the, we see the response. We see the outcome of what the disciples, but you don't understand. The fear's already at work. It's already at play. And it's the same with you and me. Fear, fear doesn't go away. It's not in the, in the getting rid of fear. It's in the overcoming fear. 
It's not in the absence of it. It's the presence of courage. That's why Jesus said, take courage. And here's Peter. Peter so desperately, okay? Everybody has soiled themselves, including Peter. And he so desperately wants to overcome his fear. And in that moment when Jesus says, take courage, it's me. Don't be afraid. He says this. He said, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come out on the water. So Jesus said, okay, come. Come to me. And Peter got down out of the boat and he walked on the water. And he came out towards Jesus. Miracle. But when he saw the wind, he was, what's the word? Afraid. And he began to sink. And he cried out to the Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. And he said, you have little, what's the word? Faith. Why did you doubt? I'm right here walking on water. Why in the world would you doubt when your faith is supposed to be in me? in the who he is. And he started that way. Everybody with me? He said, I want to overcome the fear. I want to see it happen. God, call me out. I will walk on the waters. Didn't we just sing the song? You make me brave, right? We want to walk out and be there for God. And the moment we start with all the voices and all the faces of fear in our life, and we take our eyes off of Jesus, and we start worrying about what could happen, which is what Peter did. He began to sink. And Jesus is like, why? Why would you doubt your, your faith is in me? Now, let's not feel horrible for this, okay? Understand, this is, these are lessons that Jesus was teaching the disciples. The end of the story for the disciples is they so overcame fear, unfear of death, that these 11 plus disciples changed the world because of their fearless commitment to God. They're fearless, boldless, proclaiming of the gospel, changing, planting the church. This was what happened. But they had to get there. Everybody with me? Okay, this is the beginning of their story. He's teaching them and teaching them and helping them understand what faith means, what fear is all about, and how it doesn't need to rule you. It doesn't need to drive you. And that really is the bottom line for today, for this week, because, again, we're going to be spending the next few weeks on it, but... I want you to understand, you you really are driven by fear or by faith. You're driven by fear or you are driven by faith. And if you are driven by fear, it's just that the voices of fear have far more influence in your life than they should. The what-ifs and the naysayers and those intrusive thoughts and the the false prophet and the self-assured person that you're desiring to be, they have far more influence in your life than they should because you want to be driven by faith. And listen, faith is not self-assurance. Faith is not about you. If you think you're driving, that's already wrong, right? The whole, like, bumper sticker, Jesus is my co-pilot, that's really awful theology, right? He is not the co-pilot. He is the shepherd. He is the one leading. He is the one guiding. He is the one directing. Your faith in who he is is what is driving you, or at least should be. And sometimes you'll oscillate back and forth, just like Peter did. You'll be driven by faith, and then something will happen, and you'll be driven by fear. And then you will repent, and you will confess, and then you'll be driven by faith. And then something will happen, and you'll be driven 
by fear. The goal in this is to help you face those fears, help you work through how do you combat this. And that's what we're going to spend the next two weeks on. How do you combat the voices and the faces of fear in your life? Right? Well, I, I, I'll be honest, just today, just to share a little bit with you, you've you got to start with the Word of God. I mean, that's one of the reasons we do the Read Your Bible series, and we put such a heavy emphasis here on you knowing and understanding the Word of God. Because when the warrior starts all the negative what-ifs, and the warrior just gets all kind of all up in the grill about what's happening, you need to remember when Jesus was on the Sermon on the Mount, and you need to be able to read and see why Jesus says, I'm telling you not to worry about anything in your ordinary life what you eat and what you drink and what you wear. And Jesus has to say, isn't your life worth more than, you know, than the birds of the air? Isn't your life worth more than the things you wear and the things you eat? Isn't it worth more than the wildflowers that are here today and gone tomorrow? Can a single worry add any days to your life? No. And the naysayer wants to step up and say, yeah, but listen, it's probably going to be like this, and it's probably going to be like that, and it's probably already bad, and it's only going to get worse, and you have to be able to look to the Word of God and say, I understand that, but listen, neither death nor life, right, nor angels nor demons, nor the fears of today or the worries of tomorrow, near the present or the future, right, Neither anything in creation, nothing in creation, no probabilities can keep me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. When all the feelings and thoughts come, right, when the pop-up guy gets in here, and it's, I mean, it's deep-seated in you. Paul says, you know, we're supposed to take every thought captive and bring it into obedience to Christ. Take every thought captive. It's not that the thoughts won't be there. It's the idea of bringing those thoughts in and capturing those thoughts and saying, I will not accept those as truth. I will bring them under the authority of Christ so I can overcome this. We are transformed by the renewing of our minds and the way that we think. When the false prophet wants you to make decisions, to dictate some decisions in your life so that you can remain in control, so that you can remain safe, so that you can, you know, do the things that you, you've desired to do, and, they're so, and it's so short-sighted, it's so temporary. Then you remember the time when Jesus told Peter, because Peter was arguing with Jesus about what was going to happen, and Jesus was already telling him what was going to happen. And Peter's like, no way, God, no way is that going to happen. He had to say, get behind me, Satan. And why did he say that? He says, you're a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, the causes of God. You merely have human concerns. And I'm telling you, if all you're worried about is where your next meal comes from, if all you're worried about is whether you're going to be warm tonight, then you have human concerns. His ways are higher than our ways. Right? I'm going to take my direction. I'm going to take my, my purpose and my direction and the values of my life, and I want to place them by, in God and because of who he is. Why? Because we live by, what's the words? Faith. We live, we walk by faith, not by sight. And if the self-assured person in you just really needs to be in control, there is no destiny but one you make for yourself.
And you have to know Jesus said, you know, anyone who wants to save their life is going to lose it. But whoever gives up their life for me finds it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world and forfeit their soul? Listen, what good is it going to be for you to arrive at the end of your life safe and in control when you accomplished nothing of value? You didn't do anything that mattered? You didn't engage in anything spiritually significant or eternally, you know, in terms of eternal values? You did nothing because you did everything you could and fear drove your life. But we can't change what we don't identify. We can't change it until we identify who's in the car. And we need to know who's driving. Who's driving? Are you driven by faith? Are you driven by fear? And over the next two weeks, we want to talk about other ways in which God has given us his word and he has given us his Holy Spirit to help us overcome and face those fears so we can more consistently, growing in our faith, we can more consistently be driven by faith and not by fear. Let's pray together this morning. Father God, we are so thankful for the way we can trust and believe in your word and what it says about you because our faith is in who you are. And yet, God, I will admit, even for myself, far too often my concerns, my fear, my regular everyday life is so much more driven by the what, by the what could happen or the what I want to happen or the, or the what I can control or the what I can do on my own. And so, God, I just pray this morning as all of us are here that we just begin to see a shift in our hearts that we begin by your power and by your spirit, we begin to see a transformation. That we no longer want to live by fear. We want to recognize and identify all the way that fear has influenced and is continuing to influence us. And then God, with your help, would you continue to move us in a direction where we can face those fears. We can overcome those fears with power and love and a sound mind. Jesus, we pray all of this in your name. Amen.